The Providence Journal presents Nick and Bob, the college basketball podcast for Rhode Island and around the nation with your hosts, Kevin McNamara and Bill Koch. Hello and welcome to the Providence Journal's Pick and Pop podcast. This is Kevin McNamara here in Providence with Bill Koch. Bill, welcome to the podcast yet again. Kevin, great to be here as always. Going to hit it quick here. Um, we're going to start with the Rhode Island Rams. Uh, last night, took care of business yet again. Uh, beat the uh, UMass Minutemen with ease. Went up 40-20 to 20 at the half and and cruised to a uh, 73-51 win. That, Bill, I thought you described well in your game story. That truly was over in the first half. Uh, Got to give the Rams an awful lot of credit. They they held UMass to 21% shooting in that first half. They, they really locked them up. Yeah, they came out 20-6 uh, to 6 very early on in the first eight minutes. Uh, it was a corner three-pointer by Jared Terrell, who had 24 points in this game. And really, it wasn't a contest the rest of the way. I mean, UMass got it down to 10 at one point, but it was a double-digit lead for the last 32 minutes, and the only real intrigue was for the folks in Vegas, perhaps. <laughs> Um, the the result or, or Providence or, or, or Providence for that matter the the result win or loss uh, it was never in doubt and yet again the backcourt was uh, very strong you said Terrell and you know Jared's been the best player on the team consistently all season agreed probably the you know I know it's quite early they've only played six Atlantic Ten games but uh, he's his favorite for the Atlantic Ten Player of the Year as we speak I'd, I'd say he's on the short list with uh, Davidson's Peyton Aldridge and VCU's Justin Tillman very early that's in in no particular order the undefeated record carries the day in my uh, in my eyes but uh, last night Stan Robinson shot the ball very well he uh, had 17 points to go along with 12 rebounds. Uh, yet he, he's had a few double doubles to his credit. Oh, uh, that's probably three the, this year. Probably the best rebounding guard uh, that we know of, or certainly in the East. Yeah. Uh, and you know, uh, EC Matthews goes four for 12, and it just doesn't matter. No, there, there's so much depth and so much versatility on this team, and, and Dan Hurley made note of that in his post game. They can win games when E.C. Matthews doesn't have a great night, or they can win games if Jared Terrell doesn't have a great night because there are other guys to step in. And it's not just ordinary guys. There are seniors, which is you know so valuable in college basketball these days are the one and done. Uh, the second time you've seen UMass, Bill, I know you went up and you saw the Minutemen beat Providence uh, in an upset back in December. A uh, little bit of a different team this time for UMass as Matt McCall continues to just kind of work through things in his first year. Well, there's no Rashawn Holloway this time. Uh, he's suspended. He missed his fourth straight game. It's an administrative issue. It's not uh, a legal situation. It's nothing malicious, but it's it's something that they need to sort out with the school. Um, and you or I, quite frankly, Kevin, they just they had a much better defensive game plan than Providence did. Luan Pipkins had 30 points in that game, 22 in the first half. Last night, Rhode Island held him to 5 for 17 from the field. He only had 13 points. He was 1 for 9 in the first half. He managed to get some points in garbage time. But they just did a really, really good job containing him. And you know, Generally, that starts with Jeff Doughton. Uh, his length really gave Pipkins a lot of problems on the perimeter. And then by the time Jared Terrell and, and even Fats Russell had taken their turn, uh, they just completely stifled UMass at the offensive end. Well, and you said the key stat right there. Uh, uh, Pippin, Pipkins actually was the national player of the year last week because he had two really big scoring games. And to go into Kingston and shoot one for nine in the opening half, it's, it's game over right there. Yeah. I mean, U, UMass is not going to be able to hang with a team like Rhode Island if Pipkins doesn't play very well. And as we've talked about 
uh, on previous podcasts, uh, this is a, a great trend that URI has followed. They, they've done a great job on the op- opposition's top player. Yep, and uh, you know, again, protecting the home court, thirteen straight Ryan Center wins. They they continue to extend that facility record. Uh, UMass is one and five on the road. A, a younger team trying to put the pieces together. Uh, you know, those two things make a lot of sense when put together. Um, also, URI's 14th straight win against an Atlantic 10 opponent in their first 6-0 and conference start in program history. Uh, you know, the last time they were 5-0 and was in 1996-97, and they actually lost at UMass to Bruiser Flint. Um, but this, these are very different times in Kingston, obviously. Dan Hurley really has a role in here. We're going to circle back to the Atlantic 10 a little bit when we finish up, but just want to look ahead to uh, what we've anticipated as one of the tougher games on URI's schedule. Saturday at Dayton, uh, Dayton threw a bit of a curveball into this uh, matchup by losing last night at St. Joe, 81-65. That, that one caught me by surprise, Bill. I, I really thought Dayton was had started to turn the corner a little bit because they played very well at home. Uh, this is their chance uh, to get the top team in the league on its home court. Uh, they do play URI twice, but uh, certainly a chance to uh, you know play them at uh, Dayton Arena is a big-time opportunity. You know, Believe it or not, I, I don't think Dayton has won at St. Joe's since 2000. Wow. Uh, they don't necessarily go there every year, but you would think with, with all their success that they would have found a way to beat the Hawks, and, and that Hagen Arena has just been a house of horrors for the Flyers. Um, you know, more so to me, though, it was the manner of the performance. I mean, it was 81-65, and it wasn't even really that competitive. You know, oh. St. Joe's was up 20 in the second half, uh, just put it on Dayton. And the one thing you might be concerned about, we talked about this a little bit of practice today with Dan Hurley, was, you know, is Dayton's pride going to be wounded to the point where they are so hungry to bounce back on Saturday? Uh, you know, we've seen they can play well at home. They had an odd loss to UMass at home, uh, which is almost inexplicable at this point. Uh, and then they hammered VCU last time out, uh, scored 106 points, had 66 in the first half. Uh, One of the better offensive performances in the country this year. So you can see that the ability is there. It's whether or not the Flyers are going to put it on the floor on Saturday, and you get the feeling that Rhode Island's going to be a big part of that with their focus, their intensity, and the way that they're able to defend. You know, um, I'm sure they've learned from our football friends up in Foxborough, but and it's early. You know, they, they play 18 league games, correct, in the Atlantic 10. Correct. Long way to go. But th- there's only a few hurdles that they have here to maybe make a run. And I'm not going to say undefeated, but uh, at some point that talk is going to start to creep into this situation. Uh, hasn't happened in the A-10 since uh, the 2005-06 season. George Washington did it, I believe. Hmm. Um, how about how about the Jameer Nelson, Delonte West uh, St. Joe team. Well, they were previous to that, and, Just before, and I okay. think they lost in the conference tournament, did they not? Regular season, though, they may have gone undefeated. And, obviously, and they were very high in the was number one in the poll for a bit. They were. I want to say they lost to Xavier in the conference tournament at one point. It's just another thing you need to research. It's it's and, a, and it's early. It's they're six it's, and zero. Oh. Right. We're yeah. we're uh, you know we're at the third poll. I guess it's not really a thing in horse racing, but you know this is one of those games that you would circle and say if if they were going to stub their toe, this would be a spot. You'd also look at VCU, which is a, a rematch of the conference championship game, a very difficult place to go. 
the Siegel Center. Davidson, I believe. At Davidson is the last game of the year. Um, you know, and also at St. Bonaventure, uh, mm-hmm. which sure. is in the middle of February. And you got to figure that the Bonnies will be desperate for a win uh, in that one. And Olean, as you know, Kevin, is not necessarily a place that anyone's looking forward to go. No, those are definitely four of the more difficult places in the league. And Rhode Island uh, will try to check one off on Saturday against Dayton and uh, new coach Anthony Grant. Yes. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, plays out there. Interestingly, that game is at 1 o'clock on the CBS Sportsnet. Uh, for fans who just want to sit at home all afternoon, they can watch the Rams at 1 o'clock, and then the Providence Friars are on the exact same oh, channel, that's, CBS Sportsnet. That's called the segue, listeners. Yes, and the Friars will be hosting Creighton, and um, PC has been off since a... Uh, 70 to 60 win over Butler on Monday on Martin Luther King Day. The Friars played very well, especially in the second half. First half was kind of a rock fight a little bit. They got off to a bad start and uh, battled back defensively, only down 29 25 at the half. But in the second half, they, they put it on the Bulldogs pretty impressively 45 31 to win uh, comfortably. It, it was an interesting day because, again, didn't play well. Kyron Cartwright was only had one field goal at the half, and the second half he, he was he was outstanding. Uh, six for seven from the field, sixteen points and six assists in just the second half to finish with a double double, eighteen and eleven. And uh, Bill, I was at Providence this afternoon. Um, they haven't won three games in a row since November. So wow, this is the you know obviously the crux of the Big East schedule. It's also a really tough stretch for the Friars because. You know, Creighton is, is uh, just outside the rankings. And then next week, Providence goes to at number one Villanova. Um, and then we'll take another week off. But then have two more road games at Seton Hall and at Marquette. So that's four really difficult games in a row. Jeez, you're not kidding. Uh, the Butler game for me, Kevin, as you mentioned, it, it was a story of the two left-handed point guards. Kamar Baldwin was in control early. Butler had a nice lead. Uh, you know, And then all of a sudden, Kyron Cartwright just took the game over, as seniors should, as the Friars need him to do on a nightly basis. He was very impressive in the second half, uh, as you mentioned. I actually felt like, though, Kevin, that the Providence – made a very important move late in the first half. They made this game manageable. Uh, you know, Butler was scoring early. They, they sort of were in a nice flow on offense. Um, you know, Baldwin was hitting, and, and they were, you know, they had a nice lead even without Keelan Martin really getting it going. Yeah. Uh, for Providence to cut that game to four at halftime, sort of get the crowd back in it, sort of get a, a, a little bit of energy going into halftime, I thought that was really critical for them, and they carried it through in the last 20 minutes. I can't agree more, and uh they did a really good job on Martin, who came in as the leading scorer in the Big East. He ended up with only six points on three for 14 shooting. And I will say he missed some open shots, but uh, uh, Alpha Diallo, uh, especially Alpha Diallo, but also Jalen Lindsay, the two of those guys really did a pretty good job, uh, ex- excellent job on, on Martin. Uh, and, you know, Baldwin, they let him get his. You know, he had 25, but he was the only double-figure scorer for Butler. And, you know, Butler... 
to be honest with you, really didn't impress me all that much. But then again, they're the only team in the country to have beaten Villanova. So right. there's something there. Well, that something there might have been Hinkle Fieldhouse, uh, yeah. you know, Hinkle Magic. That That's not an easy place to go. Um, full credit to Providence the last two games, though, for shutting down Trevon Blewett and Keelan Martin. Uh, you know, two very prolific scorers, very good players, veterans. Uh, that coming on the heels of Marcus Howard putting 52 on them. Uh, you know, I just really like Providence's focus at the defensive end, being able to take away the other team's top option. I know I was critical of that earlier this year, but if that portends what's to come for the Friars, that's a really good trend if, if they're going to keep that going in the last 12 Big East games. It's uh, pretty clear that what's happening around the league, that winning on your home court is, is just vital because uh, said to Steve Wojciechowski, actually, uh, when he came in, that just to get to 10-8 and eight in this league this year is going to be difficult and probably would merit certainly merit to NCAA bubble contention, if not uh, an actual bid. Uh, Providence is 2-1 and one in the league with two really good wins against high RPI teams in Xavier and Butler. Creighton would uh, classify as number three. And uh, right. I get that's still with Villanova and Seton Hall to come in. You know, that down the stretch you know and ideally by by the time Villanova gets here that's on Valentine's Day if you're Providence if you can survive these next four games or so maybe go two and two maybe three and one uh, then you get Georgetown and DePaul back to back at home and then Villanova's that third home game so you could have if you're Providence you could have a nice head of steam going into that second Villanova game and and quite honestly you know if you're able to go five and two over your next seven. And one of those five is, is a split with Villanova. You're looking real good for a fifth straight NCAA tournament yeah. bid. I think the, real the, good. the hurdle there is 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 Creighton Saturday. That's yes. probably the second best team that you have to deal with. Uh, the Blue Jays, uh, really impressive uh, last night at home against Seton Hall. They won 80-63. to I believe they went up 20-4 to out of the gate. Really took Angel Delgado out of the game because he fell into instant foul trouble. Uh, Marcus Foster um, played very well. He had 25, but the Blue Jays had a really bad injury. Martin Crumple uh, hurt his knee and is out for the year. He has an ACL injury. Probably the most improved player in the Big East. Yeah, devastating for Creighton. Uh, you know, big guy, can shoot it, can rebound it a little bit. He's a, a very good fit in that offense. Uh, you know, you're talking about a guy who his offense rating, uh, according to Ken Palm, is in the 126s. He's in the top 80 in the country in terms of efficiency, individual efficiency. Also a very good defensive rebounder. Um, you know, somebody who Creighton is going to miss, uh, you know, very much so down the stretch. And you would imagine that they're going to be even more guard-oriented now uh, around Marcus Foster and Kyrie Thomas, who I also think is is very much improved and was probably right there with Crample in terms terms of uh, you know one of the most improved players in the Big East. Yeah, uh, Crumple only averaged six minutes a game last year, so he really uh, burst on the scene uh, this this season. And you know that's a second straight year that Creighton has had a devastating injury this time of the season. Last year, they lost point guard Maurice Watson. Oh, that's right. Who blew out his knee at the time? They were ranked and, in the top ten. I mean, and really never recovered. Well, when they came in here and beat the Friars last year, I, I thought that they looked like a Final Four team, and and I felt like Watson was playing at an All American level. Uh, as a point guard, he was outstanding. I totally agree. And uh, really did not recover. They, they kind of limped down the stretch. Providence actually went out to Omaha and won there. And then obviously uh, Rhode Island uh, took care of the Blue Jays in the NCAA tournament. So mm. it'll be interesting to see how uh, Creighton can recover from that uh, injury and go forward. Um, Bill, before we log off uh, here, um, 
I know I threw something up on the web on Monday on our website, ProvidenceJournal.com, about uh, the top 25 and uh, just keeping Rhode Island just on the fringe of out. If I had to vote 27 teams, Rhode Island would have been in. They may have been 26. I, I can see our, our sports editor, Bill Corey, a URI grad, is eyeing you intently right now, Kevin. Well, all I can say is that it's a week-to-week proposition. We watch games around the country. It is. And um, I'm a little disappointed in Dayton. In all honesty, I really w- was hoping to see Dayton uh, come in really strong for Saturday and then see Rhode Island take care of him, and I'd be really impressed with the win. I have the same feeling about last Saturday with St. Bonaventure. Good point. You know, coming yeah. in at 2-2 two and two with losses at Dayton and St. Joe's, you would have hoped that they would have come in at 4-0 and into the Ryan Center and given us the showdown we all wanted at the top of the league. And, uh, you know, the Bonnies were good for a half and then faded away. And right. uh, that's a total credit to Rhode Island. I'll be surprised if Dayton can't play with Rhode Island for a half, and we'll see what happens See if they fade away. Right. Uh, but I guess what I'm saying is if Rhode Island can continue to win, they will be in everyone's top 25. Uh, I was not the only person in the country who didn't vote them. Nope. Uh, I believe there was only a handful to, to give them. Uh, uh, they were 27th uh, in this week's poll. But um, the number one plus for Rhode Island in their uh, when you weigh their pluses and minuses, is a very strong RPI. Rhode Island right now, I, I believe, is up to 10? Uh, 11. 11 in the RPI. Today, which is the highest that they've been, and, actually, in season. And I've always been an RPI person, and still am, and you're not. Uh, I know you, you, you say the word Ken Palm a lot. Just explain to people what Ken Palm is and then why you're maybe not as in love with the RPI. Well, first on the RPI, the, the NCAA, uh, on NCAA.com, they, they put a piece out earlier this week trying to dispel uh, 10 selection committee myths. Uh, and the number one myth was that the RPI is the holy grail for the committee and what the RPI says goes on Selection Sunday. Uh, and the NCAA says that the RPI is rarely mentioned in the room because of the wealth of game and team information available to the committee. They're able to dig much deeper in analyzing any team. The RPI is one of several components, but it doesn't drive the process. And so we go to maybe more mathematical metrics like the Ken Pomeroy rankings, which judge efficiency, or like the Sagarin or the ESPN BPI, which, you know, take a little more of an approach of, you know, home and away. Which I am not a favorite of. I, I the, understand. The BPI, I've, I've never latched onto. The Ken Palm, I totally get. And, yep. and Ken Palm, for people who are unaware, basically he, he does a mathematical uh, look at every 100 possessions on offense and defense and your efficiency. Efficiency is you score, you don't score. You get a defensive stop, you don't get a defensive stop. And You turn it over, you don't. You score from three, you don't. You yeah. make free throws, you don't. And Rhode Island, again, 11 in the RPI and Ken Palm right now. 36. 36. And I'm right not now. saying they're the 36th best team either. It's just a different way of looking at things. It says that they're probably somewhere in the middle. Um, right. You know, now whether in the middle is you 20. mean like 26? Well, whether in the middle is 23 or whether in the middle is 28, you're either going to make some people very happy or you're going to make some people very upset. And uh, just to show that, you know, this ranking thing is, isn't easy, uh, Michigan is one of the hotter teams in the country right now and just got into the poll this week at 23. Mm-hmm. Um, Kentucky is 18. Um, you know, the teams at the back end, Clemson only has two losses in the ACC, uh, just begun, obviously, league play. They're 20. 
So the teams at the back end of the top 25 right now are very good. I'm, I'm looking at you. Know, I sort of broke this down a little bit last night because I knew we were going to talk about this. Um, and I wanted to look at the two newcomers to the poll this week. That's Ohio State and Michigan, who came in at 22 and 23. Uh, Ohio State is 18 in RPI. They're 12 in Ken Palm. Uh, coming into this week, they had won five straight games. Three of those were against the Ken Palm Top 100. One of those was against Michigan State, which means they're playing good competition and beating them. Uh, Michigan, 30 in the RPI, 18 in Ken Palm. Into this week, they'd won eight of nine, and five of those were against the Ken Palm Top 100, which means they're playing good competition. Now, you compare that to, say, Rhode Island, who's 11 in the RPI and 36 in Ken Palm. They'd won eight in a row coming into this week. Only one of those was against the Ken Palm Top 100. If you're a voter, like you are, and I know your philosophy generally voting and selecting NCAA tournament teams is to tell me who have you beaten most recently. I I like top 50 and top 100 wins. Rhode Island is a victim of the Atlantic 10 in that way. They're a victim of St. Bonaventure. They're going to be a victim of Dayton because the voters nationally are going to look at the A-10. They're going to see that they're 10, 11, 12, either in Ken Palm or in the RPI in terms of conference rank as a whole. And they're going to say Rhode Island running the table in this conference isn't that impressive. Now, maybe they haven't seen Rhode Island play four, five, six times like you have or, you know, 20 times like like I will or 30 times like I will. Sure. I know they're very good. I know what I see, but I also know the caliber of opponent that they're playing right now. And I know that beating George Washington and beating UMass, while commendable for handling your business, isn't necessarily going to get a voter in Iowa excited to put URI in his or her top 25. Well, and so we'll take this, extrapolate this a little bit. Dan Hurley has mentioned he'd like Rhode Island to get to the stage of a Wichita State, a Gonzaga, you know, a powerhouse in its league, that next level down. Yep. Uh, Wichita State is obviously in the American. This year, the American, which is much stronger than the Missouri Valley, but uh, is always been in the top, you know, 2015 with Gordy Records. Uh, Gonzaga is yet again this year. They're 16 and three. They're 13th in the poll. People would say, "Well, so what's the difference between you know Rhode Island and Gonzaga, for example?" Right. And the answer is non-conference. They have a better resume. You know, uh, they beat Creighton. Uh, you can tell me who else they beat. I'm giving you a little task here during the <laughs> podcast. But sure, sure. Uh, Gonzaga played a very Rhode Island played a really good schedule. Gonzaga played a nationally rated. A group of uh, uh, opponents. Gonzaga is six in Ken Palm currently. They beat Ohio State, Texas, Creighton uh, very early on. Now, in their league, they're not very good. The West Coast Conference isn't very good. They're they're six and zero in their league, just like Rhode Island is six and zero in their league. Um, you know, but you're going to take the wins that they have. They also beat Washington, who's one fourteen in Ken Palm. It's not great, but it's you know if that's your fourth best win, you're okay. Yeah. Um, well, they're not going to have any more good wins. They're, they're not. against, you know, St. Mary's uh, stands out big time. They're not. The rest of the way. But uh, my guess is, you know, in Kevin Mack's uh, rating, I think I probably had them, you know, 16th this week. There's no way they're going to crack the top 10 if they win the rest of their games. Well, to, you know, to pull that out further, Gonzaga's 54 in the RPI right now. Um, and if you look at the RPI, you find that Michigan State is 32. The three teams directly ahead of them include Boise State and Buffalo. There is not 
a single person who, if you put on an NCAA bracket, who doesn't live in Boise or in Buffalo, who would pick the Bulls or the Broncos over the Spartans in a neutral court game. There's, there's not one. Well, not one. So that's a flaw in the RPI. Here's one more. You said Gonzaga is what in the Ken Palm? They are six in Ken Palm and 54 in the RPI. Well, that's a difference now, isn't it? Six Huge and 54. Difference. So Huge either difference. the season hasn't played out enough and there's not enough statistical evidence to come up with a good number, or else, you know, obviously Gonzaga is the team you need to look a little closer at. That's one of the widest disparities in, in Ken Palm compared to the RPI. You don't hear that very much. No. So uh, we can take this up again next week. We'll see with a. Rams, uh, first first of all, do on Saturday at Dayton, and where they are in the poll when the next poll is announced on Monday. Uh, certainly, the point to make is that the poll changes week to week, and, and these teams in the bottom five or so, they're in the bottom five for a reason. They're, they're barely into the top 25, and they can be replaced very easily by teams like URI, by teams like Nevada, um, you know, St. Mary's, uh, Creighton, uh, Creighton, Creighton, Creighton who, who is not in the top 25. Yeah, they come into Providence on Saturday and win. They're going to be in my poll. We'll certainly be there. Yeah. No so. question. Okay. All set, Bill. A lot of fun. Uh, we'll talk again next week. Yes, sir. See you then.